The views, opinions, and advice expressed in this podcast are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and positions of Patterson Media or the sponsors of this program. Wellness is. I started to explore yoga. And ironically, it was at the same time I started to also self medicate with drugs and alcohol. Parenting, as I'm sure you will know, is full of challenge, which means it's also full of growth. The science is there. I think in the next, I don't know, 20 years, there'll be prescriptions for fitness from doctors. There's something a little more exciting going on, rather, right, than work and home and grocery shopping, whatever. Welcome to Choosing Wellness. It's your one-stop shop for practical advice about how to attain better physical and mental well-being, so that instead of just surviving, you're thriving. Choosing Wellness is powered by Pattison Media. In this series, we'll share a health journey and explore the trends and talk to the experts that will help you live your best life, and we'll hopefully have fun doing it. In this episode, we learn to navigate social media and how to let go of perfect as a parent, a being real story on addiction and yoga. Getting out for exercise can be tough this time of year as you're left sneezing with itchy, watery eyes, so we'll unlock some Allergy 101. And how to build exercise into your life with a mother-daughter duo, as well as Life Unlimited Stephanie Staples, talks easy ways to get moving. I'm Linda Freeman. Come join the journey of choosing wellness. Health tag. We know hashtags help link us to content we're looking for in the world of social media. So we've created health tag. Like hashtags, we explore what's trending in the world of wellness. The stress of parenting while working from home can be overwhelming. And that's why some health experts are reminding parents of the importance of protecting their mental health during this time. Hi, Dr. LaPointe. Welcome to Choosing Wellness. I would love if you could introduce yourself and what you do. I am Dr. Vanessa LaPointe. I am a registered psychologist, an author, and a parenting educator. And so really my whole mission in life is to connect with parents about the things that feel hard when we're trying to raise our kids in the best possible way and have them feeling inspired and full of hope. And parenting is hard. (laughs) Your child doesn't come with an instruction book. It's one of the most incredible, but also challenging times. And there's a mental and emotional transition you go through, which can impact your overall wellness. And I love to conceive of that in saying that the day your child is born, there's not only a child born into the world, but there's a mother or a father born into the world. And I know for myself personally, and I've chatted with so many parents over the course of my career, that that feels like your whole axis is tilted on that day. And it's interesting to observe that as our children grow, the things that become challenging or the times that become challenging, the instances that become sort of moments of upheaval between us and our children, are often a reflection of the things and the times and the experiences that were moments of upheaval for us when we were children. I hate you. So you're saying 
It's like we relive our childhood through the experience of parenting, which can bring a slew of feelings and emotions. And then we wonder why we feel like we've gone to pieces and we've sort of lost ourselves and we don't know how to get back on the path. And so really, I think that we open up this whole world of personal growth and exploration. And none of that comes when life is pleasant. We grow when there's challenge. And when there's no challenge, we sort of coast for a while. Parenting, as I'm sure you well know, is full of challenge, which means it's also full of growth. I know many of us struggle and are challenged through the teen years. So maybe use that age group as an example. When you have a tween or a teen child, one of the key hallmarks of development in that age and stage of life is that they are taking one of their biggest steps away from us as parents in order to individuate, become their own person. And they don't just say, hey, mom, hey, dad, like, just take a seat for a hot minute because I got to grow up. They turn it on. They sure do. Right? They will actively create fissures in the relationship because they're trying to step away. It is their job to push you out of their way so that they can emerge. And they just turn the volume up. It's their push to step back from us so they can become their own person. And if we take it personally, oh my goodness. It's about me, okay? Surprise, surprise. No, it's not like that. It can be a real big pill to swallow. Which is just so hard not to take personally, is we need to learn like how to help guide our kids without telling them what to do. But then how do we find the balance and ensure we still set boundaries as their parent? Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. It makes me think of this concept of paying attention to the intention. And our kids will always know, like if we're coming in with a motive that's all about us, they can like, like sniff the air of that and they'll be like busted. <laughs> and they're not interested in serving our intentions. If it comes from a place of love and power, your kids are going to want to gobble that up. If it comes from a place of fear and a need for them to conform so that you can feel safe, they will resist. And I think that would be true of any parenting dynamic in any situation and maybe fits for this one. I do think that paying attention to the intention will guide you. It's always about shifting the internal state. There's just so much we could talk about, but I really want to shift the conversation to social media. I know you're very outspoken about it and advocate for the safety of social media and its effects on youth. It's a worry for almost every parent. The skewed and often distorted environment of social media often does a disservice to many of those children. When it comes to social media, how early is too early and how much is too much? So how do we give our kids space to explore, but support them with the right tools to navigate it? Yeah. So it really is upon us to get clear about what is our motive in all of this? What is our intention in all of this? And I really think that if we can imagine ourselves the same way that we would do around nutritional habits with our children, that we want to teach them what it is to eat 
well for your body and to eat well for the activities that you're engaged in and all of those kinds of things. We guide them in that because we know that that is good for them and there are actual physical health outcomes tied to the food that you put into your body. The same would be true of social media. We want to guide our children in that because there are actual health outcomes mental, emotional, physical outcomes that come with the kind of information we allow in through our eyes and in through our ears. The social media landscape has changed so much that it's hard to keep up and be on top of trying to safeguard our kids. So right now, we are recognizing that our children are suffering because of what they're being exposed to on social media. And one could say that in many instances, via the algorithm and marketing strategies and other kinds of things, they're being exploited on social media. And so for us to step in as parents and really let our children know that there is a way to do this, social media is a thing and it's here to stay. And so let's really join with our children in helping them to navigate that world and helping them to know about the algorithm and marketing strategies and how things show up in their feed of a certain ilk and how to edit their feeds and how to be wise consumers of that kind of information once they start contributing to the social media world, how to be good citizens in that world. And so we need to be guiding our children right now like we have never done before when it comes to social media. I mean, we hear this information all the time, but do you have a resource that parents can go to to help them navigate through it? There are a couple of really brilliant tools available to parents. The first is something called the Dove Confidence Kit. It was created as part of the Dove Self-Esteem Project. You can access the Dove Confidence Kit at dove.ca. I tell all my clients all the time, you got to download this kit. It's free. You just print it out and it's page after page of ideas of how to explore conversations with your children around social media, things to be talking with them about, conversation starters, things that should be discussed with your children, and even ideas about how to help your child begin to sculpt their feed so that their feed on social media becomes something that truly feeds their soul rather than depletes that. Well, thank you, Dr. LaPointe. I think we need to have advocates. And if big corporations will step in to spearhead it, well, that's fantastic. And then the other side of social media is the pressure that it puts on moms, on parents to be the best of the best as we're bombarded with the perfect life on social media. And I believe this is creating such an unhealthy environment. You know, I think the first thing to land on is that comparison be the thief of joy. When we have this constant messaging coming through social media of the perfect house and the perfect Disneyland trip and the perfect first day of school photos and the perfect this and the perfect that, even though we mentally can make sense of everybody is putting forward a facade you know, it's not real. They're not showing you behind the scenes. They're not showing you the meltdown that happened an hour after the perfect family photo shoot because the child had to be so sorted out for the family photo shoot that they lost their ever-loving mind an hour later and they had to deal with a two-hour-long meltdown. You're not seeing all of that. All you're seeing is this perfectly scripted kind of life, this best-case scenario that's all glittery and lovely and being put forward. And in the viewing of that, you lose your joy in your own life because the joy is in the mess of it. The perfection is in the imperfection of all of the things that happen. And you'll look back on those things one day and just think like, how could I not have been present for that? Because that's actually hilariously wonderful. It's so true. 
the imperfection is the perfection. Yeah. It's the space where we laugh more, we dance more, we feel more at ease, we're more comfortable being a parent, right? Oh, yes. We need to shift our lens and our perception when it doesn't go to plan. And when we can ascribe to that kind of mentality, we release ourselves from the shackles that bind in terms of comparison being the thief of joy. When we can come at it with that mindset, that invisible load that we place on ourselves, and and to be fair, that has become a sort of social, societal expectation of us, we can begin to kind of break that open a little bit. So it's a shift in perception that's the miracle. I'm hearing a big sigh of relief from moms and parents everywhere. So thank you for that. I think people struggle with perfectionism. And in order to live happier lives and in order to be better parents, we need to accept that we're not perfect. We'll make mistakes and that's okay. That's the space we learn the most in. Yeah. And that's the shift in mindset that really can be freeing. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Dr. LaPointe. Thank you. To share in the discussion about being a parent, Tag us using hashtag health tag. Being real. It's estimated that nearly 5% of the world's population has used an illicit substance. 240 million people around the world use alcohol problematically, and approximately 15 million people use injection drugs. And for some, The use of substances can become problematic and lead to dependence. That dependence can disrupt an individual's ability to maintain a healthy life and significantly impact their relationships. But through the right support, determination, and even physical activity, you can come out the other side. This is Katie's journey. This is Being Real. I always like to joke that I came out of the womb certified to teach yoga because my mom did her yoga teacher training when she was pregnant with me, but it didn't really pique my interest until I was kind of a young teenager. I remember as a five, six, seven-year-old coming downstairs in the morning to eat my cereal and my mom would be standing on her head and she'd be doing all kinds of strange rituals and at that time yoga was not mainstream at all so she was definitely in the minority as somebody who was practicing yoga on a daily basis and I really didn't think much of it I definitely thought my mom was eccentric but then as I started to get older in those awkward years of age 11 12 13 14 I started to struggle with what everybody that age struggles with to varying degrees, some social anxiety, kind of feeling uncomfortable in your own skin. But I think for me, it was more severe. I definitely was dealing with some moderate depression and some pretty intense anxiety. And what I realized at that time, I started to see my mom through a new lens of respect because I recognized that her physical practice of yoga as well as her spiritual beliefs and her dedicated practice of breath work and meditation really made her stand out from other people in the sense that she was more graceful and agile in her body but she also seemed more patient more present more compassionate and there was a sense that she truly knew who she was and knows who she is to this day. And I kind of tuned into that and I thought, I want some of what she's got. I want to embody what she's embodying. And so I knew it was the yoga practice that was 
allowing her to be this full version of herself. And so while I was struggling with some of these mental health issues, I started to explore yoga. And ironically, it was at the same time I started to also self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. So both paths were being pursued with equal amounts of enthusiasm and curiosity at that time. I thought I was too intelligent to ever get addicted to a substance. I came from a really great family, a loving family, a supportive family. I always felt special. I could just dabble with drugs and with partying and with finding a group of peers that accepted me and seemed to celebrate me, which made taking drugs more appealing because it happened to be a drug-taking group of people that made me feel loved and accepted. It started off with the lighter drugs, marijuana, hash, graduated to psychedelics. And eventually you stumble across the substance or the behavior that becomes your drug of choice. I found crystal meth, which is an incredibly toxic mix of rat poison and nail polish remover and cold medication and all kinds of horrible toxic, poisonous things. When it's mixed up a certain way and processed a certain way, when I ingested this substance, for the first time in my life, I actually felt whole. And I felt like I could breathe a sigh of relief and I could relax fully into who I was. And this was the lie that the drug told me. And from my very first time using it at around the age of 18, it was like this passionate romance. I was just off and running with this drug and nothing would tear me away from it. And as it started to bring negative things into my life, because at first it brought me confidence, it brought me vitality, it brought me abundant energy, it brought me weight loss and glistening eyes. And, you know, I was just lit up and I felt like I'd found the secret to happiness and to being the real me, the best possible version of me. But then what it does is that once you're hooked, and I didn't really have any problem with using it regularly because I felt like it was helping me so much in my life. I would even take it in the morning sometimes with my vitamins, like with my B vitamins and my greens and everything else, and I would take a cap of meth. <laughs> But once it really had its hooks in me, I couldn't function without it. That's when it started to really tear away the positive things that it had brought into my life. And in fact, it actually delivers the opposite of what it brought in. So all of a sudden I was exhausted all the time. I was agoraphobic. I couldn't even leave my apartment. I was so anxious all the time. I couldn't engage in normal conversation with people. I was often only sleeping two or three nights a week. I had sores all over my face and my head, and I lost, continued to lose weight until I was at a very unhealthy weight. But by then I was hopelessly addicted. During all of this, I was a regular yoga practitioner and I was teaching yoga full time, sometimes upwards of 20, 25 classes a week. I was finally ready to admit to a dear friend of mine that I was a drug addict. It was a very vulnerable moment for me and I thought that she easily could have gotten up and just abandoned me in that moment because she's not a drinker, she's not a smoker, she's never tried drugs. She knew me as her yoga teacher 
And so now basically what I was admitting to her was that I was a fraud. And this is what I said to her. I started sobbing and I said, I have something I need to tell you. We were in the middle of a restaurant and it was such a powerful moment. Physically, we react to these powerful moments. And I remember I could feel hives breaking out all over my face and my throat. It was so intense to speak the words to someone in my life. I'm a drug addict. And I managed to get the words out. I said to her, all this time you thought I was a yogi and a healer and a good friend and a mentor. And I am none of those things. I'm a fraud. I have stolen from people. I have lied. I have manipulated. I've compromised every moral standard that I've ever held near and dear. And I was really, really hysterical at this point. And she grabbed my hands and she shook me out of my hysteria. And she said, Katie, Katie, it's okay. It's okay. And she had this look of knowing wisdom on her face, almost a little smile. And I looked at her and I just said, well, how, how can it possibly be okay? And she said, don't you understand? You have it all wrong. The fraudulent part of you is the addict and the liar and the thief. And the true you is the good friend and the mentor and the yogi and the healer. And I still get chills when I recount this story and I have them right now. My arms are covered in goosebumps. But it was the phrase that I needed to hear that kind of flipped everything in reverse for me. <laughs> You're gonna make me emotional. <laughs> Because I thought that I was darkness. I thought that the true me was shadow and darkness. And this allowed me to consider the possibility that maybe my essence was light and maybe that I could make my way back to that place. And the only way I was able to do that was to stop loathing myself, to extend a hand of compassion and forgiveness towards myself, and to do that over and over and over again, because I slipped up many times. I relapsed even after rehab because the depression and the fatigue was too much to bear. And I went back on the drug for about a six month period. And you know, it's the kind of advice that even non-addicts need to take to heart because we're so hard on ourselves. We're so self-critical. We're kind to our friends, we're supportive to our loved ones, but when it comes to ourselves, we're harsh and we can be unkind. And that unkindness towards ourselves actually leads to destructive behaviors because we don't believe we're worthy of anything better than that. So this process for me has not been about perfection. It's been about making friends with myself and supporting myself the way I would like my own child, you know, or a dear friend if they were going through this. The regular yoga practice was my saving grace. The fact that I was doing this movement and this breath work every single day, I feel like it was helping to stabilize my nervous system over and over and over again, even though I kept assaulting my nervous system with this stimulant. The yoga kept me sane. When I was in rehab, I met many people that had been addicted to meth. People that had been addicted to meth for a fraction of the amount of time that I had been addicted to it. And some of these people could barely speak. They were almost in a vegetative state. Their health on all levels was rock bottom. 
And sure, I had youth on my side, but I really think it was ironically, you know, keeping that daily movement and deep breathing and all of that, that was my saving grace through all of this. Yoga is so different from other forms of exercise. This is a practice of presence and a practice of developing an intimate relationship with myself, with my body and my breath and getting to know my inner dialogue and tuning into myself. And I think that's why yoga has saved me over and over again, kept me healthy, kept the depression and the anxiety at bay. And I really recommend it for everybody out there. There's so many different styles of yoga, different approaches to find the right one, you know, that resonates with whatever type of person you are. And it can really be a game changer in terms of your whole health. Thank you, Katie, for sharing your journey. Katie McClelland is a successful businesswoman running a yoga studio in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. How to choose wellness. This might date me, but whenever I think about getting physical, Olivia Newton-John's song pops into my head. You know, let's get physical. And I would sing it, but I want people to keep listening. So I'm really excited because I've got Movement by NM. And this was founded in 2020 by a mother-daughter duo joining us now. So welcome. And please, if you could both introduce yourselves. Gabriella, we'll start with you. Thank you. And it's great to be here. I was born in Argentina. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. And then I ended up in Canada. So I'm a sort of multicultural person. But I settled here. And I'm now a partner in a television production company, longstanding one, in Vancouver, we had an opportunity to launch an online streaming platform, which Amanda developed, that's all about fitness and wellness, is so perfect. So Amanda's been the brains behind the launching of that. Amanda, how amazing that your mom had this company and that this has all come together. So give us a little bit about yourself as well. Sure. Yeah. So thank you for having us. It's such a pleasure. I actually was born and raised in Vancouver, so have lived here all of my life in contrast to Gabriella, who's sort of lived everywhere. We've shared the vision of multi-generational wellness and Gabriella has been a real pioneer in the wellness space on television. She created some very, very early wellness programming. So it's really this joint vision that we have for people to be able to move more freely and to move better for their whole lives. And that multi-generational aspect of it is obviously really important to us. In 2020, you founded Movement by NM as a subscription-based platform for people of all abilities, including people in wheelchairs, which is so amazing, from kickboxing to yoga. Why was it important to you to have an affordable, diverse platform? Yes, it was important to make it accessible and affordable. It's just because of our corporate philosophy, which is to be inclusive, to build something of value. And we are very focused on quality in every type of production that we do. 
And getting physical is just so important. I mean, there's research after research after research that we all need to be moving. And from young right through to old, we should not stop moving. Can you talk from your personal experience, from your life experiences, Mm -hmm. why physical activity is so important and vital in our life journey, our wellness journey? I think for me, movement is just absolutely essential. As you said, Science has told us this repeatedly and increasingly. We're finding that movement is so important for help with anxiety, depression, our mental health. If we're not moving, it's like we get stuck. And I often think about it even when it comes to creativity and being able to put out into the world what we want to do and what we want to create and who we want to be, it's so important to have a movement practice that supports that. Because if you allow yourself to get stuck and to not feel good in your body, it just makes everything so much harder. And there's a mental side to that, but there's a physical side to that as well. The people that we're really trying to reach and help, it's like, I want to improve the quality of my life for decades to come. That's our heart. That's our mission. What makes them really come alive in their lives. I think the other thing, too, is that you have to make it part of the routine. I say book it like you would anything else in your day. You book meetings and you don't miss a meeting. Yeah. So book in your physical activity and don't miss it. Absolutely. And let's talk a little bit more about how your app works. You've developed this for people at all ages and stages in their life. We have all of those tools that are really designed for people to feel like they have a place to start. We're for the person who's like, I have back pain and I know I'm supposed to be moving. And my doctor said do or my physio said do core stuff, but I don't know, like, whatever. Like, I just need the place to start and a welcoming place to start. That's really the space that we're trying to fill because we feel like that's what's needed is movement for everyone. Well, so needed for the average person who just needs to start to get moving. And you've provided a space that gives them that. I think a good rule is that every day you should touch the ground. There's been studies showing that as we get older, our ability to get up and down from the ground is correlated with our lifespan. Just to be able to touch the ground is profound. The act of actually like getting down on the ground is I think a barrier. And so commit to just doing that and that barrier will be gone. I love that. Absolutely love it. Yes, Gabriella. I have one as well for myself, which is I try not to sit longer than 20 minutes, which means I should be getting up right now, actually. And we we try to build it into our Zoom calls. But when I'm doing anything, I go, oh, I've just been sitting here too long. Get up. (laughs) Just get up and move your body. And I've been able to convince my husband to do that as well. And what we all have to understand is that we need to put our wellness first always because that will then give us what we need to be able to support those around us. And when we don't, we won't be able to be there for those that need us when the time comes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you two are beautiful people. What a great story that you have. So thank you both. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Life Unlocked. 
Nicer weather usually equals getting outdoors more. Hiking, biking, golf, swimming, they're all great ways to enjoy the warmer days while getting in some exercise. But for some, it is a challenge, and the culprit is seasonal allergies. And you're not imagining it. Allergies are on the rise thanks to climate change. Sneezing, headaches, migraines. Like No, it's not your imagination. Really itchy nose as well, itchy eyes. No, you're not going mad. My eyes hurt and they, I cry a lot and I cannot breathe. Even though really the weather is great, I feel pretty horrible after spending time outside. Allergy season feels worse this year because it actually is. The average pollen season uh, is about three weeks longer now than it used to be. According to experts, seasonal allergies in both children and adults have been on the rise over the past several years. And you can blame climate change. Spring is becoming earlier, the weather in spring is warmer, and and there's actually a direct correlation with an increase in pollen in, in the air. Allergies occur when your immune system mistakes a substance that is harmless to most people as a threat and goes into defense mode. These substances can come from sources like pet dander, mold, dust mites, and pollen. In 2021, approximately 81 million people in the U.S. were diagnosed with seasonal allergic rhinitis. This is an allergic reaction to pollen from trees, grasses, and weeds. Often mistaken for a cold, allergies leave you sneezing, congested, wiping a runny nose, itchy watery eyes, and just downright bothersome symptoms. Not to mention, it can make you miserable. But before you settle for fake flowers and artificial turf, try these simple strategies to keep seasonal allergies under control. Rinsing your nasal passages with saline solution through a neti pot is a quick, inexpensive, and effective way to relieve nasal congestion, and it flushes out allergens from your nose. There are some natural remedies you can look for, although currently there's not enough evidence to support effectiveness. So try staying indoors on dry, windy days. Avoid lawn mowing, weed pulling, and gardening chores that stir up allergens. You can also wear a face mask when doing outdoor activities. Not fun, I know, but it helps. Consider removing clothes you've worn outside as soon as you go inside and shower to rinse pollen from your skin and hair. Close windows and doors when pollen counts are high and try keeping indoor air dry with a dehumidifier. And you can use the water gathered for watering your indoor plants, which are also helpful for better indoor air quality. I read snake plants are especially good. If you have bad seasonal allergies, testing can help determine what steps you need to take to avoid your specific triggers and identify which treatments are likely to work best for you. Life Unlimited with Stephanie Staples. So good to have you. It really is. I always love our chats. <laughs> you know, it's so important for us to get physical. And there's many ways to do that. And in 2022, you did a My 22 in 2022 project. And what you basically did was you had different focuses each month, doing an activity around it for 22 days. So can you give us an overview of what this is all about? Because you're doing it again. What I decided to do is I decided to do something different every month 
for the entire year. And I decided to do whatever that thing was for 22 days out of the month. 22 days or 23 as this year, it's enough to make it, you know, habit forming, right? So it's almost every day, but it still gives me a few days to be tired, lazy, traveling, sick, yeah, whatever, right? But still 23 days is probably 22 two days more than I would have done it if I hadn't set this challenge. So it allows me the opportunity to experience something that maybe I've dabbled in, maybe I've never done before, or that I'm curious about. Um, So I've done all sorts of different things. And I often give other people the task of assigning me these challenges. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. If someone wants to jump on board with this idea for the rest of the year, looking at it, that you would map that out on a calendar, all the different things that you're going to do. And do you then also put in when you're going to take a break? Nope. And I don't even map out like the 12 different things. You can make up whatever (laughs) you want to do. If you want to have your 12 things listed. But what I found is that every month something would just sort of appear. And it's not just exercise. There's other things you can work into this. It doesn't always have to be something physical each month. No, and I can tell you some of the other things that I have done, if you're interested. Yeah, please do. Just walk us through some ideas, because I think that's what is so key and important, stuff. And one of the things that you're really good at doing is just giving people things to think about, and then how to act on those, and then actually put that into practice. Right, and even if you don't do it this exact way, or this exact number, or, you know, it's the concept of it, and your job as an adult learner is to how can I use this, or twist it, tweak it, and combine it with another idea to make it happen. Because I think this is where a lot of us get stuck, right? We're like, okay, well, what can I do to challenge myself? What can I put in here that's different so I'm not doing the same thing over and over again? In January, I did 22 each of push-ups, squats, burpees, and lunges, and up and down planks every day. Wow. In February, I did meditation. In March, I did polar dips. So I live on the West Coast. I went in the ocean every day. I guess you could take a cold shower if you don't have a cold body of water nearby, right? Exactly. And I think that's something else in all of this is find things that will challenge you and take you out of your comfort zone. Exactly. So in May, my focus was play. So I did things like sidewalk chalk and hula hoop and skipping and a dance party and acro yoga and playground and pool and kites and challenging myself to do. That was actually a hard one. And I like to play, but just thinking of something different. That's so great. I could just see you like, you know, every day going, what can I do that's fun today? In September, I was dog sitting for a friend and she had this big, beautiful kitchen. And so I'm not a big cook, but I made September my culinary month. So every day I made something and I was blown. Okay, this is how I would cook. When my kids were growing up, the smoke detector would go off and they'd say, mom's cooking. (laughs) But last September, I was cooking challah bread, jam, like amazing things. And you know why? It's because I was completely focused on what I was doing. I wasn't trying to do 18 other things at once. I was just like, this is what I'm doing today. And I put all my energy and focus into it. And I did really well. It was one of the best things I've ever done. The fact that it would get you to be focused on that one thing throughout those days that you're doing it. And, And I think that that's just brilliant in itself. In October, my friend gave me this challenge. He challenged me to birding. And I downloaded this app called Merlin. And you can push a button and when you hear birds, like it it identifies birds. I'm telling you, a walk is not the same after that month. Like I hear things different. I see things different. I notice things different. At the end of the month, I'm like, you're right. This is pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. 
How amazing is that too, right? There's that self-discovery of things that you would be like, eh, that's got to be boring. And then you try it and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I quite like this. And I know I never would have picked that for myself. So that's why it's really cool doing this like with a group or partners or getting people to contribute. In November, I did writing. So every day I, I had a journal and I was very dedicated to writing. December was dance. And that was fun. And these are achievable, practical, and I do want to say easy things just in the sense of implementing this. It's a really cool concept to incorporate more physical activity stuff, but also other things that are good for our mental well-being. And again, that beautiful balance of wellness. Yay, thank you. And it's fun. It just makes life like there's something a little more exciting going on rather right, than work and home and grocery shopping, whatever. It's like, no, you've got this little thing going on with yourself and it's, it's satisfying. Always enjoy our chat, Steph. Thank you so much. Before we go, anything else to say? This is Stephanie Staples encouraging you to live your life unlimited. Meditation moment. For a meditation moment, music does it again. Multiple studies have found that listening to music can boost your performance while working out. If you're a runner, it can increase your distance and pace. And it can also help you complete more reps while weightlifting. A study through the University of Toronto examined around 30 cardiac rehabilitation patients following specific exercise programs. They were separated into three groups. One without music, one with personalized playlists, and one with playlists curated specifically to enhance tempo pace with something called Rhythmic Auditory Stimulation, or RAS. Now, the group listening to the RAS music reported they didn't feel as if they were exerting much energy, but the endurance, intensity, and duration of their workouts all increased compared to those in the other two groups. Another study found that those who listened to music while on the treadmill increased their pace and distance traveled without really feeling tired. Why? Your body has a natural way of synchronizing with the beat of a song and music stimulates the part of the brain that controls movement. So you work out faster and harder without even knowing it. And studies showed the ideal tempo is between 125 and 140 beats per minute. Life is challenging, and choosing wellness in our daily lives may seem like adding to that already long to-do list. But together, we can make it easier. On the next Choosing Wellness, we focus on the immune system. Healthy Eyes and Life Unlimited's Stephanie Staples talks about how optimism can help with your overall health. I'm Linda Freeman. Let's connect again soon as together we take the journey of Choosing Wellness. You've been listening to Choosing Wellness, an initiative powered by Pattison Media designed to inspire and motivate a healthy life. For more information on this program, go to pattisonmedia.com and everythinglifestyle.ca. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com, a division of Pattison Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.